Good afternoon. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, welcoming you to the June 2023 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture. Our monthly interview show broadcasts the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. As I hope many of you know, our seventh annual Arts and Cultural Empowerment, or ACE, awards are coming right up. We celebrate with a breakfast event open to all at the Norwalk Shore and Country Club, Wednesday, June 21st, 7.30 to 9 a.m. You can find out more on our website, culturalalliancefc.org. We give awards in five categories, artist, citizen, corporate, educator, and nonprofit. And this year, we're giving a special President's Award to Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward in recognition of their hugely generous support of arts, education, children's health, and the environment in our region. The overarching theme of this year's event is how the arts and culture act as the glue or connective tissue that binds together so many parts of the community, bringing together artists, cultural nonprofits, residents, businesses, municipal and economic development leaders, legislators, and more, to focus on our common issues and common solutions to how we all live together. Today, we'll be talking to five of our awardees, Chris Dam, our artist awardee, Vic Muller, founder of the Nest Arts Factory, who will be receiving our Citizen Award, David Genovese with Baywater Properties in Darien, who is our corporate awardee, Jenny Nelson, Director of Education and Corporate Engagement at the Westport Country Playhouse, who won the Educator Award, and Mike Jaley, Executive Director of the Fairfield Museum and History Centre, whose institution won the Nonprofit Award. As I said, we're also making a special award to Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward in honour of their exceptional contributions to our community and to Westport in particular, where they contributed to the Westport Library, the Westport Historical Society, and especially the Westport Country Playhouse, where Joanne Woodward served as artistic director from 2001 to 2005, directing and acting in many Playhouse productions, and where Paul Newman famously starred in a revival of Thornton Wilder's Our Town in 2002, directed by James Norton, which quickly transferred to Broadway. The Newman's daughter, Clea, will be accepting the award on their behalf on Wednesday, June 21st. Now, our awardees are chosen through a nomination process. We invited the whole community to submit nominations over the winter, with reasons for their nominations. And then a committee of board members and myself do the final selection based on the nominations we received. Today, Chris Dam is with us in the studio. Welcome, Chris. Hi, David. Nice to see you. And David Genovese and Jenny Nelson will join us by phone. Unfortunately, Mike Jelly and Vic Muller were unable to join us live today but I was able to record interviews with them both, 
And so we'll start with my conversation with Mike Jelly at the Fairfield Museum. So Mike, uh, congratulations again on winning the ACE Award for Nonprofit this year. Um, it's great. Uh, the nominations were fantastic. So uh, congratulations on that. Thank you, David. It was, it was a tremendous honor. So um, we're looking at the role that arts and culture plays in creating community. And partly because I'm a Fairfield resident and I know the museum and the museum's location uh, pretty well, I'm very much aware of the fact that you are using the uh, very historic location of the museum to reach out to the well, first of all, the Fairfield community, but you obviously have a much greater reach beyond the town of Fairfield. And uh, you've been running the museum now for quite a while. I wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about your sense of how arts and culture, um, how, how you've been using arts and culture to create a sense of community within uh, the town of Fairfield and, and reaching beyond. Sure. Um, you know, I think for the Fairfield Museum, community is really our DNA. I think that, you know, the whole mission of this organization has been built around the sense of using opportunities for bringing people together around celebrations of arts and culture uh, to help create and strengthen community, but also to use, you know, we're at, we're at heart a history museum. Uh, and to use the past really as a starting point for exploring and understanding who we are as a community and the current issues that we face. And so right. we, we try to embrace the sense of museums being a neutral third space to uh, use our exhibits and use our programs to kind of contextualize through the history of certain contemporary issues and then use our spaces to bring people together, oftentimes from divergent perspectives, to have conversations and to try to find uh, paths forward. You know, we all feel very strongly that, particularly in this time of, of division and, and sort of talking heads and polarization, mm -hmm. that having opportunities where people can come together and listen and engage with different ideas is really kind of vital for the future of our of our society and our communities. And so, you know, focusing on Fairfield, but really extending throughout Southwestern Connecticut, um, we've tried to embrace uh, over the years a whole range of issues from civil, uh, civil justice, uh, environmental, you know, climate change issues to, uh, you know, really a whole range of issues that kind of continue to roil us and divide us and to um, set context and have kind of important conversations about it. I think the, the one most successful one that comes to mind was uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2018, uh, we did a really wonderful exhibit as part of the commemoration of the um, centennial for the uh, Connecticut Institute for Refugees and Immigration. Oh yeah, I remember that exhibit, that was fantastic. Yeah, and it was it was called um, an American story, and what it did was the exhibit looked at the history of immigration and refugees to this part of Connecticut, um, and it also focused in, I think, perhaps most movingly, on the personal stories of six individuals, uh, 
some of whom came here in the wake of World War II and others, you know, a few months before the exhibit. And it gave a human dimension to, I think, an issue that was, um, you know, polarizing to many and, and, and had a lot of different kind of uh, emotional attributes to it, the, the kind of debate about refugees. And I think that the exhibit was very successful in both building empathy, but also I think contextualizing the conversation for people so that when they came to our programs and our forums that we hosted, I think they were receptive to perhaps different ideas. And, and I think that that's really one of the most important building blocks of community is finding opportunities and providing space for people to uh, come together to talk about where we want to go as a collective society. Right. And it seems that the museum is uh, pretty unique. I can't think of another space in the town that is that third space where you can um, safely bring bring people together. I think that was something noted by some of your nom nom <laughs> nominees that um, um, there was the sense of of safety in this in in the spaces that you can that you create, um, but also um, you have exhibits within the museum. But you also have this amazing campus with right. a great green up there with trees and historic uh, buildings that have been reconstructed, um, which um, you know where you really can gather uh, people. Can you talk a little bit about how that? how you've been working on building that sense of space outside the museum? Sure. So we have a, a somewhat unique uh, relationship. The, the museum, the Fairfield Museum is an independent nonprofit, uh, you know, independently supported. Um, we sit, the footprint of the museum is leased from the town of Fairfield, who owns the museum commons and the green that surrounds us. It's about a 20 acre green space. Um, and we have an agreement uh, with the town to kind of lead the revitalization of the historic properties that are also owned by the town, but on that campus, but also to kind of lead the, the program development and the, and the uh, kind of public engagement around the museum commons and the green. Um, and it's a, it's a really good win-win uh, relationship, I think, because the town provides a lot of the backup support, like cutting the grass and mowing and, and right. you know, snow removal and things like that, but also gives us wide leeway to program the outdoor space. Um, and so what we've tried to do are, are kind of multiple tentacles of engagement. Um, we've, over the last several years, uh, restored a number of really wonderful and unique historic buildings on the campus that are right behind the museum. And so we've uh, now begun to open them up seasonally for uh, tours and public programs and, and activities so that um, it's a gathering place, an informal gathering place for people over the weekends. Um, we just opened those up last weekend and already had a, a, a really healthy stream of visitors. We also program the outdoor green space uh, to do a wide range of, of kind of arts and culture related activities. We have a, a well-established and very popular uh, jazz series in August called Jazz Fridays, um, where we bring some of the best jazz talent uh, around for free outdoor concerts. Um, and that's really become a wonderful kind of engagement opportunity for people to come, you know, bring a a glass of wine and some nibbles and sit in a chair and talk to their neighbors and just have an informal opportunity to kind of see each other. Um, 
we also do bigger events, one of our most successful being Halloween on the Green, where uh, around Halloween time, we uh, work with a whole range, probably 20 some odd community partners to uh, have games and activities and uh, all sorts of fun activities for little kids on the town green. Um, and it's a safe space where kids can come with their parents, they can dress up, they can uh, not have to dodge traffic and they can run around to their heart's content and be in little costume parades and do a lot of fun. So it's a, again, it's a great, place for people to come together informally, see their neighbors, get to know each other, uh, and just interact in a fun way. So I think that, you know, our approach is to try to mix fun opportunities for engagement with kind of perhaps more serious opportunities to, to learn and engage around complex issues like immigration. Education should certainly be fun, and uh, it is an important component. You've right. also sort of uh, helped other uh, nonprofits. You've uh, been a kind of a home to nonprofits. Uh, I think you've, you helped us to get center stage off the ground. Could you talk about those? Sure. Really? But I, I think that that's you know partnership is is also kind of a big part of our our reason of being. And you know we work with you know dozens of, of partners here you know in Fairfield and beyond. Um, but many of them, like Fairfield Center Stage, when they were just starting out. Um, kind of don't have the benefit of facilities to do their programs. So when they were first starting, um, we uh, allowed them to use our, our lecture hall to do small performances. We worked with them on the outside to do outside performances, some of which became huge and became actually so big that we couldn't really accommodate them anymore. But that's a good thing, right? So absolutely we were able to build enough of a reputation over our four or five years of partnership that they they outgrew our ability to to be there to be their home, but we do that with a lot of small groups too. The League of Women Voters, you know, has regular meetings and programs and partnership with us. Um, you know, we work with the Senior Center. We work with Connecticut Audubon. We just did a, a program yesterday to celebrate Connecticut Audubon up at the Ogden House. We did a bird watching session with them, and so you know, we're big believers that. You know, working together, nonprofit organizations can kind of help raise the tide for everybody, right? <laughs> we're we're not competitive necessarily. We really think that through collaboration, we can demonstrate uh, to our supporters and to the community that we're worthy of their support, but also drive home the 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 real truth that we're major economic drivers and major contributors to the quality of life in the community. Terrific. Well, thank you very much. So next, um, thank you, Mike, we'll move from a museum, clearly very much at the heart of the community, founded in 2007 by the 103-year-old Fairfield Historical Society, to a now iconic artist studio space, the Nest Arts Factory, founded partly by accident, uh, that has grown and is now one of five artist buildings in Bridgeport. Here is Vic Muller, founder and still the executive director of The Nest after many decades of service. Well, welcome, Vic. Uh, it's great to have you with us and congratulations to you on the award, our Citizen Award this year for, for the ACE Awards. So let's start by um, 
let me ask you about the nest. Tell me uh, what the nest is, how it was formed, uh, how it's developed. Well, the nest is something that grew out of my business that I had moved to Bridgeport in 1987. And about four or five years later, I, in the use of the business, I was hiring artists to do a lot of graphics. And then I had a few that asked me to use extra space that I had. Uh-huh. And that was pleasantly successful. <laughs> and I just started expanding it. And actually, the facility that I'm in now is actually my third third location, each time growing the arts part of it. Huh. So the current location has uh, 30 studios with about 32 artists. There's a few that are shared. Um, and we run it very much as a, as a community. Um, I try to keep it, uh, the members as diverse as possible. Um, and it seems like our, our, uh, direction in the last, uh, four or five years has been to even reach out to the community even more because we have a, a good sized community room that we can use for various events. Um, so right. I've had have, people. Sorry, you have, you have a very broad range of artists, artist activities. It's not just um, artists with easels. This is true. Uh, everything from musicians to glass blowers to um, what one would consider a standard artist with an easel. There's uh -huh. a, a number of them. Um, and um, the progress has been pretty much, because we're located in Bridgeport, there's been an evolution in terms of people being accepting of Bridgeport. When I first came here yes. in 87, it was much rougher than what it is now. There's been a progression of changing over from a large industrial uh, town, which was uh, slowly being abandoned, and people were slow to pick up on being able to use the space that it created. And of course, artists are a little bit more aggressive in terms of trying to use space. Uh, right. A little bit more, a little bit more accepting of what they uh -huh. are able to get their hands on. Um, so now, these days, it's a it's a totally different situation to the extent that we have a waiting list. Um, I constantly, I, I must get three or four or five applications a week. Um, wow. They're just is not. There's just is not enough organized spaces in Bridgeport anymore, even though there's there's five buildings currently being used in Bridgeport just for artists. Yeah, that's Compared really incredible. I mean, more more than any other city, it seems um, there is this amazing uh, availability of spaces for artists. But as you said, uh, they all have waiting lists and <laughs> it seems that we need more. I mean, what? The other thing about the nest that has impressed me is just this almost organic evolution. Um, you know that it slowly happened and um, it, it it continues to grow. And it's what now third decade, fourth decade. That's in its fourth decade. That's correct. That is incredible. So um, you have obviously a, a community within the building. Can you tell tell us a little bit more about your sense of a broader community and how you know you, you feel that arts and culture is able to create a sense of community or connect to other parts of the community, other sectors? 
Well, what I meant was in the last four or five years, we've started to reach out to other entities within the community, the city of Bridgeport. Um, we've been hosting um, various entities like the, the Pride uh, group that meets in, in Bridgeport. Um, they I'm don't sorry, hold, which, which is that? Uh, the Pride group. Oh, right, um, Pride. It's sponsored mostly by City Lights, but they don't have a facility large enough for them all to meet. So I'm happy to host them here. Um, we have um, uh, figure drawing classes uh, on a monthly basis now that has been quite successful. We've had, had that going on for six months now, and it brings in basically people that don't have studios here. Um, wow. And no, nobody else is offering that. Uh, we um there's a, a lot of events that are just one and two meetings um i've offered the facility and, and we've hosted people like the um the puerto, puerto rican day parade um we have earth day every year which brings in um, people that are more interested in that um, we are obviously part of the bridgeport art trail which is the biggest um, art event that happens in bridgeport and really pulls the whole community together um, right Right. And um, no, we just we've just tried to include more people in the wider Bridgeport area. And, and as a result of Bridgeport growing, it's now more accessible to other people from Fairfield County. Right. It used to be that people were fearful about coming to Bridgeport. And that's kind of dissipated over the years uh, to a big extent. I guess part of it is because of the entertainment industry that's grown so much in Bridgeport. So people wanting to come in from all all around the area to attend these events uh, makes Bridgeport more acceptable. And so there's less um, resistance to coming to Bridgeport. Uh, and now it's just kind of blossoming on its own. Do you hear that from visitors, people who, who come, non-artists who come into the space? Uh, do they talk about um, Bridgeport, how surprised they are or how they feel more comfortable oh, definitely yeah definitely so i've had people from uh, westport lately i mean westport always used to be looked at as kind of the icon in fairfield <laughs> county as where arts existed and whatnot but i've had people coming in from westport now saying wow we didn't realize this was going on in bridgeport they seem to be surpassing what's going on in westport and Westport is kind of um, it's there's still a lot of artists there, but it's kind of gotten priced out of the out of the market somewhat. Um, Bridgeport is still more accessible in terms of pricing. Uh, how much longer that's going to exist, I don't know, because once it takes off, it's it's something artists have always struggled with yes. as the economics of an area has uh, taken off. And all of a sudden, artists who were the ones that got it going are the ones that get squeezed out. Right, right. And um, how have you been um, placed in terms of working with developers or, or um, landlords? Have they understood um, your, the situation? Um, not completely. Um, <laughs> one thing I found in Bridgeport is that, um, you know, there's a lot of old industrial buildings that are these three-story brick buildings. Yes. And, and what's most difficult for realtors is to rent the upper floors. Most businesses just want to deal with the first floor. You know, if they're handling merchandise, it's in and out. 
to deal with elevators and that type of stuff, it's it's much more difficult. So the, the price on renting out second and third floors is much cheaper. Um, so that's where I've concentrated on, had the most success. I've always been on an upper floor uh, and, and that's what made it work. Uh, what's gonna replace that? I, I don't know exactly right now. I know office buildings are struggling right now. So there's a bit of a slowdown in terms of the demand for, for that type of space. Yeah, because I, I see what's going on in Stanford and Norwalk with, you know, excessive amounts of office space. So there's nobody rushing into Bridgeport, at least this year, to try to develop more of that when right. there's, there's so much on the market already. Have you, um, I wondered if you knew, if you know Chris Dam very well, whether you work with him. He's clearly another awardee who's been working on developing real estate space in Bridgeport. Yes, I've worked with him for, uh, I guess it's been about a year now. We were actually trying to put something together back a ways uh, to try to do something um, together. Uh -huh. uh, that particular thing didn't work out, but I got very interested in what he's trying to develop in downtown where he's developing a coffee shop, a combination coffee shop and art, you know, art gallery, uh, uh -huh. which I think is going to be, you know, a tremendous improvement to that area downtown. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I liked him as a person and, you know, just his approach to things. I was, I was very impressed with. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that he was the artist of the year. I thought that was fantastic. Yes, that's great. Well, um, congratulations again, Vic, on, on, um, the award. And, um, I'm sure the nest will go from strength to strength. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our June 2023 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, the ACE Awards, the Arts, Culture and Community, celebrates the winners of our Arts and Cultural Empowerment or ACE Awards, asking them how their work contributes to building a greater sense of community. Our guests today include previously recorded interviews with Mike Jelly, Executive Director of the Fairfield Museum and History Center, Vic Muller, Founder and Executive Director of the Nest Arts Factory in Bridgeport, on the phone, Jenny Nelson, Director of Education and of Community Engagement at the Westport Country Playhouse, David Genovese with Baywater Properties in Darien, who is our corporate awardee, and live in the studio, Chris Dam, winner of the ACE Artist Award. Let's turn now to Jenny Nelson, Director of Education and of Community Engagement at the Westport Country Playhouse. Congratulations to you, Jenny. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, so first tell us about the Education Center, which I gather is comparatively new given the history of the Playhouse. Yeah. Um, so what's great about working for an organization, an institution that's 93 years old, is we have a long history of educational programming uh -huh. um, at the Playhouse. 
Um, and when I began um, right at the at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, um, I was tasked with kind of taking all this wonderful programming that we already had at the Playhouse and continuing to help it thrive and become more robust while also creating new and innovative programming to really create access points into mm-hmm. our community and be able to bring in um, children of all ages and adults and everyone into the Playhouse to really enjoy the programming that we offer. Offered. Um, we're most, you know, right now, um, at summertime is internship time at the Playhouse, and it's one of our most prized programs that we've had an internship at the Playhouse for over 50 years um, and had some wonderful interns come through our doors, including the amazing Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> um, and yes. so uh, we, we can, yeah, it's really wonderful program, and we continue to thrive bringing in young people supporting them in their professional careers and continuing to stay in touch as they move on their journey. It's really one of the best things that we do at the Playhouse, bringing in those young people from all over the world um, to come work in Westport with us and oh. create programming. So that's it's a really special time during the summer for us. So you have the title Director of Community Engagement as part of your job description. Uh, so this is a central part of what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about how you go about engaging the community through the arts? Theatre is really this amazing art form where one of the one of the anchors to it is the gathering. Uh-huh. Um, and, mm-hmm. and really, in order for us you know, to really be able to engage in theatre and the, and the reciprocal art of live theatre is to gather and to bring mm-hmm. um, those communities into our space or to go to their space mm-hmm. um, and be able to bring live theatre to to them. Uh, one of the programs that we came up with this year in the education and artistic department was the Playhouse Mobile Unit. So much uh, kind of modeled off of the public theater's mobile unit, we created um, some children's theater that was geared for middle schoolers. We mm-hmm. produced it at the Playhouse. Um, and then we took it on tour into schools all throughout um, the spring this year. We actually produced this play called Scaredy Cat Presents, <laughs> and it was a world premiere. So we, we also have one of the benefits of being able to work with new playwrights uh-huh. and be able to produce brand new work. So in this world premiere, we were able to take it into uh, schools all over Connecticut and reach almost 3,000 kids this year through the art of live theater. And so that was a really exciting way to engage with the community in their space, mm-hmm. right, to go to them because we know in education so much of the barrier is transportation, uh, financial constraints, and so we were able to remove those and be able to just take theater to the kids um, and be able to engage with them. We did a talk back afterwards. We were able to have that dialogue um, so that they can really see that that theater is uh, potentially something that they could be engaged with, that theater should be for everyone and everyone should have access to it. So that was a really um, exciting new program that we hope uh, will continue on at the Playhouse. And one of the ways that we engaged in our community. Um, We also, you know, always have had our student matinees, which has been a really um, wonderful way for us to have kids, actually young people come into our space. Some of them, it's the first time they've ever seen a play. And we're we're a part of that experience, which is such a special experience, and be able to show them the world of theater and expression so that they know that down the road, they're always welcome to come to our space 
um, and enjoy theater. And so really engage with young people um, to be able to to give them access to our beautiful 93-year-old theater um, and let them know that it's for them and and to give them that sense of belonging. I like um, that kind of balance between working um, with kids to talk about and, and to demonstrate the power of theater you know, in general. And, and then when you go out into their space and then balancing that with developing interest in your particular institution, the Playhouse. So two things seem to be going on um, at the same time there. Um, and I'm wondering, can you measure the sense of belonging when um, participants um, are part of your programs? What about the results that you're seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, going into their space initially um, and them getting to meet me, meet the actors, really start to, you know, part of being in community is really creating authentic partnerships and relationships, right, and sustainable relationships. Right. And so I can remember a time when we went out and we did one of the mobile unit productions and met some of the young people there. And then that very same school came to our playhouse to see the student matinee, and they immediately recognized me and said, oh, you're, you're Jenny, you came to our school, <laughs> right. I remember you. And they felt safe and they felt welcomed. And that feels like a way to measure, right? That they mm-hmm. already feel a sense of, I know the people at the Playhouse and, and they want me to be here. They invited me to come and that there's this, this reciprocal um, relationship where we are able to uh, share theater in both of our spaces and welcome each other. And that that felt like a really great measure. And I right. had several instances <laughs> where the students were so excited um, because it's so nice when you go to someone's home and you know everyone there. You feel really welcome, <laughs> yeah. right? And that, that feels like a really wonderful measure that we're able to see in real time. So it seems that you really are bringing um, attendees to the, the, the Playhouse from elsewhere, from around the, from around the region. Yes, absolutely. From and all the way up to you know New Haven County, Fairfield County, all around the state. It's really important to us to have um, you know a diversity of students from uh, different backgrounds um, to be able to bring them, especially those that don't typically have access to theater. We're really focused in on bringing those students in, removing economic barriers, and creating access points so they have theater. And um, actually, this week we're having um, one of our executive director network meetings about. Uh, the problems with uh, subscriptions for uh, concerts, for plays. Uh, we're still suffering from the post-COVID drop-off, it, te- it seems, in terms of um, audience participation, but especially in um, subscriptions and the importance of developing new audiences. So really your work is, <laughs> like in the laboratory, creating uh, new audiences in, in the future, it seems. Absolutely. You know, theater also has always been a mark of history, right? Theater marks the time in which we live. And when we look back at theatrical plays, it really is kind of this moment um, when we're able to capture what was really happening in the minds of our community, what we were thinking and saying and doing and how we were connecting with each other. Um, And we really take a lot of pride in the fact that we're able to produce that live theater and really be able to kind of mark this moment, Mm. um, these historic moments that are happening moving forward and connect these new 
new audiences because theater has survived um, over these thousands of years because of storytelling. The art of storytelling is something that we all come back to um, over and over again, and we're hopeful that we continue to tell the stories um, that we know and the stories that we don't know so that we can connect with those audiences because we know representation matters. And seeing those stories, particularly those stories that haven't been told on the stage, um, we're interested in that dialogue to bring in those new audiences as well. And just to connect back to Mike Jelly's point where Fairfield Museum was seen very much as a third space, a safe space for discussion, for uh, bringing together different views, uh, the Playhouse certainly is, an, is another of those safe third spaces where ideas, um, thoughts can be brought together safely in, in a space. And uh, your encouragement of younger people to be engaged is, of course, uh, very much <laughs> very much desired these days. Uh, yeah, Theatre is needed it, more than ever, it seems. Absolutely. And I think the best kind of theatre is when we walk out asking questions that we maybe don't have the answers to mm. just yet. Mm. But we're going to keep thinking about it and talking and having a dialogue um, to try and learn more about our world and ourselves. That's great, Jenny. Great talking to you. We could go on for longer, but we've got limited time. But looking forward to seeing you a week from Wednesday at our award ceremony. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you for this wonderful award. I am humbled and honored to be yeah. a part of these awardees. We are very welcome. Okay, uh, we're now having a short musical interlude and we'll be uh, joining David Genovese in a short moment. David, a welcome to our program yes, today, um, and congratulations on your award. We're looking forward to um, seeing you next Wednesday. I Thank wondered, you so if, much, David. Yes, you're more than welcome. Um, I wondered if you could first tell us a little about your history as a developer and how you founded Baywater, and maybe what some of the characteristics um, you have sure, as a de as sure. a developer. Sure. So, um, you know, I started Baywater Properties about 21 years ago after having been in investment banking in New York and oh. London, um, mm -hmm. uh, really in the wake of, of September 11th. Um, I just sort of had an epiphany and I kind of, I loved my, my career in investment banking. I learned a lot. I saw a lot, but I, I wanted to change, change it up, change my life up and pivot into a, a position where I could 
you know, be a little bit more present for my family as opposed to be living on airplanes and um, <laughs> right. came up with this idea, Understood. Of, you know, investing locally. Um, initially, really, my idea was to buy d- distressed buildings, buildings that were, you know, underinvested in um, or had some kind of problems that they were trying to come to grips with where I could buy them and fix them and then manage them over a long period of time. Um, I bought an industrial park in South Norwalk, uh, which was kind of an interesting investment that really got me started and then actually ended up building two buildings up in Wilton with a partner um, that really gave me the confidence to enter the development side of our business, which to that point I'd said I wouldn't do. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, then while building that building, those two buildings up in Wilton, the the family that owned the construction company um, that was working with us asked me to take a look at a property that they owned in Stamford to help them figure out how to redevelop it. And that really began my involvement in, in Darien and sort of led ultimately mm-hmm. to my involvement in this new project called the Corbin District, mm. which is a um, seven-acre in, you know, transformational uh, redevelopment of a, a big part of the downtown of Darien, Connecticut. And uh, just jumping ahead, um, you received an award from the Connecticut Main Street Center, I think, based on that development. Is that correct? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So in the early days, um, before I'd even invested in Darien, other than in the home I live in with my wife and family <laughs> in Darien, um, I I got involved. One of our, our first select woman at the time, a woman by the name of Yvonne Klein, um, I met her at a literally at a neighborhood chili contest. And uh, she she came up to me and she said, you know, I, I have this idea that people in the town would really like to see their downtown improved. You know, historically, Darien didn't care much, um, and the town didn't make kind of improving the downtown much of a priority. And Yvonne had a pretty good read on the community at that time and approached me and a number of other business people and residents, um, business owners, property owners. She put together a very um, diverse group of people to sort of tackle the question of, you know, does Darien want and improved downtown. And then she aligned the town with this group called the Connecticut Main Street Center, which is an offshoot of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Um, and the you know, Connecticut Main Street came in to basically give the town really objective advice on how it might mm-hmm. make strides and take steps to improve its downtown. And um, I was a volunteer in that, only really acting as a resident, but with a real estate background. And I saw what was going on and and I started to invest in the town. And, you know, one thing sort of led to another. And, um, yeah, the, the, the Connecticut Main Street Center did give me the, I think they call it the Founders Award. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was the first private developer to get it. Usually that award is given to people who are like working for municipalities or recently, I think Kim Whitaker, the um, uh, assistant director and now the direct, the recent director of Connecticut Main Street received the award on her retirement. But I, I think I got it just for the fact that I've been doing this for so long. It's 18 <laughs> years now. Um, yeah. I, and um, the work I'm doing and my team is doing, it really truly embodies um, the, the, the tenants, all the fundamental tenants of the Main Street approach to, to economic redevelopment, economic revitalization. And, and we're um, looking forward to Michelle McCabe, who is the current executive director, uh, who will be giving a keynote at our event a week from Wednesday. Um, 
Could you tell us yeah. a little now about how arts and culture is kind of a, a core component of of your um, sense of what makes a downtown successful? Sure, sure. Well, you know, first of all, the way I got to it, the way I started thinking more about it was um, but th- with that original investment in the in- industrial park. Um, you know, I, I, I had built this industrial, or I bought this industrial park. There was a second floor space that I could not figure out what to do with. It, it was, you know, it's a, it's a warehouse property generally. Most of the businesses in the, in the complex are manufacturers of some sort or distributors, wholesale distributors, or just warehousing product. Um, but there was this second floor space in, this, in the original building that was built at the turn of the century with cool, you know, wooden columns and beams and, you know, interesting exposed brick walls. And I couldn't figure out what to do with it. And one day I read about uh, the dislocation of the um, loft artists from downtown Stamford in and around Harbor Point in the very, very early days of the redevelopment of Harbor Point. And one of the artists happened to be my neighbor. Coincidentally, she was the host that year of the chili party in which I met <laughs> Yvonne Klein and the whole downtown uh-huh. thing started. But I met Britt Bear as the host, and, and she was one of the artists and loft artists. And I called Britt, and I said, I have this idea. I don't know if it makes any sense. You're going to have to have vision. Um, the space is kind of a mess, but I'd love to create a loft, like another loft artist's um, facility, like a studio, artist studio here. And she and another artist um, that was involved with the Loft Artists Association, Lori Glavin, teased me and said, you know, we're artists. Of course we have vision. Um, we'd love to come take a look. And they right. came and they saw it and they saw what I saw. And they created the Wilson Avenue Loft Artists, um, a sort of, you know, syndicate of artists that came together to, to collectively rent this space from us. And then I went and worked with the town of Norwalk or the city of Norwalk and actually created the first legal zoning opportunity. You know, historically, artists would just squat right. in un- underutilized right. buildings only to be at the risk of getting kicked out right. if the landlord one day found a higher and better paying tenant. Well, it's, um, it's, but it's, we, we actually did it properly and got a, an amendment to the zoning regulations that would allow this. And so the Wilson Avenue Loft Artists has been with us for about 15 or 18 years yeah. now. And that's just, my dialogue. Just, that's just oh, a part I know of the work that you're doing. And we look forward to hearing more um, at the event itself. We really appreciate it. It's so rare to find a developer who understands the role of artists in creating economic development in downtown. So I wish we had more time, David, but we have to move on. Thank you very much for joining us today. And we look forward to talking with you next week. Terrific, David. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. I look forward to seeing you next week. That's great. Okay. And now, finally, to Chris, who've been, who's been patiently waiting with us here in the studio. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about your career as an artist. It seems you found a very strong base in Bridgeport, um, wow. you know, following up from what we heard from Vic. Um, but that's after quite a career in several other art centers. Can you? Exactly. Um, yeah, and thank you, David, so much for the award and having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, um, basically... Bridgeport has always been on my radar. Um, my father got a job in Bridgeport in the 1990s, um, so moved close by. Just realize, as an artist, as a you know, 
as a kid, I was always an artist and just realizing the industrial zones and what was going on here, um, just imagination flows through and what the possibilities right. are mm-hmm. and, you know, um, and seeing it, uh, being a part of it at this point um, and, uh, you know, in 2023, um, you know, close to 30 years later, um, it's really amazing to see the energy and the, the, the that's flowing through the city as far as artistically and creatively. And um, I'm just very happy to be a part of this. Um, we have an amazing location that um, a developer, Phil Kushma, helped me a sort of acquire and um and we're we're moving forward um and um yeah so i see a lot of reflections between bridgeport and the work that i've done in my past um you know i started a gallery in williamsburg brooklyn in the mid 90s and um at that point you know nobody wanted to go to brooklyn brooklyn was um sort of like the ugly duck of manhattan nobody would go over the bridge and um, what we started doing, we started doing art fairs and um, um, doing places where we pr- put Brooklyn in different locations like Miami, Basel, um, and, you know, um, other other art fairs as well. But and then people started to kind of know about Brooklyn and started to realize that there was something really happening there. And at one point, Williamsburg became the largest concentration of artists in the world. Of course, that's. Wow. that's dispersed yeah and now it's what's wonderful is that you're seeing Bridgeport Uh, you've spoken about Bridgeport being the next Brooklyn in terms of I I don't I don't want to say necessarily Brooklyn (laughs) because Bridgeport is its own city yeah and um you know but I, I have the same feelings that I've had with you know with that I haven't have had in Brooklyn and you know Brooklyn has um you know, I, I just think the energy and what what you know the, the 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 space available and the opportunity and just the the wealth around it too is uh, what what's amazing too. So I think that we're in this point where um, all these things combine and artists flocking to it. And actually, you know, I wasn't so sure about my my about Bridgeport. I, I you know I, I moved here in 2016. I got a small studio, started painting, and then after the pandemic, it just seemed like everything was starting to point, and so I, I really st- started to really put my pedal to the metal here <laughs> and really start to flow, th- you know, and, and just trying to collaborate with, you know, my partner in Berlin and people in New York um, and just trying to put Bridgeport on the map, not only locally and within the community, um, but also internationally, I think the the art market is mostly international. So it's what's what's your sense of community? Uh, um, well, how does what does it mean to you? Um, and and how have you felt that you've been building it in your various locations? Well, I think community is everything. I mean, community is what gives you the green light to go ahead. It community is the support that that makes somebody want to do something as far as as far as somebody like myself you know um so i rely on community and hopefully community relies on me to um so I, I it's the strength that that makes the makes the ball move forward so that and certainly with your new space which is both an artist space a gallery yeah. a, a cafe 
uh, on Fairfield um, Avenue, right next to the Bijou, will be a place in which community can gather and you can expand. Exactly, exactly. And and that's something that I I realized and, you know, one thing that when I opened the gallery in, in Brooklyn, the, a coffee shop opened close by. And so we'd have like five or six people come in and out. A lot of people are intimidated by galleries they, or they just walk in and they leave. Um, and so the coffee shop, I would always see people hanging out and gathering. And then um, about 10 years ago, my sister opened up a coffee shop in Stanford and I helped her with uh-huh. that. And during the pandemic, I never wanted to open up a coffee shop. (laughs) I never knew how to. Um, But during the pandemic, I started working there because she needed extra help. And I realized it's a business that I really enjoy. And I really like to be social because as an artist, even as a gallerist, a lot of times you're spending most of your time by yourself and uh, and, 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 and accept and certain events and things like that. Well, we're looking so. forward to the opening of your new space. Thanks. And congratulations again on this award. Okay, Sorry we didn't have you. more time. Thank you, David. I really appreciate talk. it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. Uh, and invite as many of listeners as possible can come yeah. to our event Wednesday, June 21st. You can find information about tickets on our website, culturalalliancefc.org. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You've been listening to our June 23 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, the ACE Awardees, the Arts, Culture and Community, celebrated the winners of our Arts and Cultural Empowerment, or ACE Awards, asking them how their work contributes to building a greater sense of community. Our guests included previously recorded interviews with Mike Jelly, Executive Director of the Fairfield Museum and History Centre, Vic Muller, Founder and Executive Director of the Nest Arts Factory in Bridgeport. On the phone, Jim, Jenny Nelson, Director of Education and of Community Engagement at the Westport Country Playhouse. David Genovese with Bay, Baywater Properties in Darien, who is our corporate awardee, and live in the studio, Chris Dam, winner of the ACE Artist Award. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Support comes from New Haven's International Festival of Arts and Ideas. Celebrating its 28th year, the festival runs from June 10th through the 25th. This year's theme is Rise, harnessing the power of the arts and ideas to overcome challenges. With more than 150 programs, most of them free, the event brings together dancers, musicians, thinkers, and innovators such as Christina Wong, Baratunde Thurston, John Cicada, Angelique Kijot, and many others. Info, tickets, and the online festival guide at artidea.com. WPKM will conduct its last fundraiser of the fiscal year, June 12th through the 18th, and we are doing it with our favorite tracks, the best of the best of WPKN, and with a little help from our friends. Join us June 12th through the 18th to listen to our favorite music, donate, or become a sustaining member of this unique radio station, WPKN, because we will thrive with a little help from our friends. Said I'm gonna get my friends.
Hazel Kahn, inviting you to tune in to Tidings on Wednesday to hear London-based American author and urbanist Adam Greenfield describe his vision of occupying Britain's 50,000 now-empty churches and turn them into lifehouses as climate change-created collapse ends our world as we have known it. Wednesday, 6.30 a.m. and 8 p.m. Please join us if you can. Thank you. This is FC Buzz on WPKN Radio. A brief look at what's happening around Fairfield County. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our weekly selection from FC Buzz Events, the best guide to arts and culture in coastal Fairfield County. Find it at culturalalliancefc.org. Monday, 7 o'clock, the Westport Library dives into A True Crime with author Lisa Belkin, who will discuss her book Genealogy of a Murder with Laurel S. Peterson. This new work unwraps a true crime story that took place in Connecticut in 1960. Tuesday, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., come to the Norwalk Public for Armchair Travel Stockholm, part of the library's Especially for Norwalk Senior Citizens program. Come experience Stockholm in Sweden up close without leaving Norwalk. The clean streets, art scene, and royal history await you in this lively discussion that includes a video, a slideshow, and authentic Swedish treats. Tuesday, 6 p.m., the New Canaan Museum and Historical Society explores fashion in art from cloth to canvas. Artscapades presents a lecture that ties in with New Canaan's current exhibit, Oh, What a Night, a Century of Evening Wear, 1860 to 1960. Explore the history of fashion in art and works of art that highlight fashion ranging from the most basic to the most coveted garments and accoutrements. Learn how depictions of clothing in art address many aspects of a culture, from social structures and gender roles to daily activities. For details on these and hundreds more events, check FC Buzz Events at culturalalliancefc.org. This was FC Buzz on WPKN Radio. Hello, this is Monty Alexander. If you love jazz, reggae, and all the great music under the sun, you have your radio in the right place. 89.5 FM, WPKN, Bridgeport.